this word, God, I pray that you make every low place high, every high place low, make every crooked path straight, God, that you take us directly to where you want to take us tonight by your spirit, God. We invite you, anoint this word, God, make my lips the pen of a ready writer. God, give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Oh, we know that you're in this house tonight, God, and we thank you for what you're going to accomplish when when I went into prayer earlier, just in, in this back room, uh, uh, if, you, if you know me, you know I'm as far from like a spiritual flake as you can get. You know, I'm all about the glory, I'm all about the signs and wonders, but I'm not about, not about that separated from the Word. And, and if you have been around in the charismatic stream long enough, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the flaky types. But I, I got into this, this vibrating mode, and I've been shaking, and it's not from, from the Starbucks and the coffee, but I've been in this vibrating mode about the past two hours where the Spirit of the Lord has just been upon me. I almost fell out taking communion. Uh, almost fell into your daughter. <laughs> she was standing beside me. And, and, and throughout the past, the past week and even today, the Lord's just been, just been speaking to me about this church and, and your, your calling, what you're called to do. Um, and, and one of the things about coming into a church that already moves in the prophetic is you've probably already heard a lot of this. You know, that, that's, that's one of the downfalls, but one of the great things is you've probably already heard a lot of this, and it's going to be super encouraging, I believe. Uh, so let, let me just start off by saying that tonight, you know, I, I, I love to preach, but more than a preaching, more than a teaching session tonight, I believe that this is a prayer gathering. I believe this is a prayer gathering that God is releasing, and He said, a greater measure of travail to you. God is releasing a greater measure of travail to this group. And I hear the Lord saying that one of your near assignments, one of your next assignments is establishing a house of prayer. And, and I don't just mean like, you know, you have, you have like a central base where everybody goes to pray and, and people are there. Uh, I, I mean, before that even gets, before you even have a place to come and do this, God is going to, to release something to you where you say, well, what, what time can you pray? Oh, you can pray from 6 to 7. All right, well, this person's going to pray from 7 to 8. Oh, you have, you have one of the morning shifts. You're going to pray from midnight to 1. And you don't have to come to a centralized location, but God's going to establish a house of prayer that isn't about a building, but it's about a region. And wherever you are, God's raising that up in your house. He's going he's gonna to say, you don't go here to pray. You don't go to the house of prayer to pray. You take the word that I put inside of you, and you go to the high school. Or you go to the college. Or you go to Walmart and just walk around and pray in Walmart until you see somebody with crutches and you release the kingdom. Amen? God, God, one, one, another thing, God, I mean, I'm, I'm talking fast, so you just got to listen fast or watch later or something. God is marrying the prophetic prayer and apostolic action. God is marrying prophetic prayer and apostolic action. What he's doing is, is there is a joining of those who see the prophetic, and those who are sent, the apostolic. God is marrying prophetic prayer and apostolic action. And, and I really feel, and you'll understand why, why I'm saying this when I get more into the Word, I really feel that the anointing and the life of John Wimber is important to, to many of you. If you don't know who that is, thank God for Google. And you can look that up later. You can write it down. John Wimber, his life is going to be important to this group. I see teams, listen, <clears throat> I see teams... Of, of power evangelists being sent out on Sunday mornings. Some of you sleep in on Sunday mornings because you have church on Saturday night. You, you might as well cancel that, I, 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 that, that mindset. I see people, I see teams being sent, because who doesn't go to church? God is sending, God is raising you up to send out teams of power evangelists on Sunday mornings to reach all the people that aren't in church on Sunday morning. And I also see, this, this, was kind of, this may sound a little weird, but I see God raising up teams to go sit in the back rows of dead churches and release the glory of God. Not to be disruptive, not to show them how to do church, but just to sit and just intercede for their pastor, for the elders, for the, whole ch- the church as a whole, and, and release the kingdom in that place. Amen? Another thing, man, I've been, I got notes on my iPad, I got notes on my phone. <laughs> I got a text from my wife. I believe, one, one thing I believe that's already begun tonight is there's going to be a great prophetic encouragement released. I see God breaking off weariness. I don't see, and this is kind of odd for me, I don't see a lot of like personal prophecy going on. I see more of it, us praying as a whole. And that I, I'm usually like going from person to person and just releasing the word of the Lord to them, but I see more of it being a, a, a corporate thing tonight, a corporate prophetic release 
Uh, but I see as we're releasing things corporately that individually depression is going to be uh, released from you. Still shaking. Hallelujah. I see weariness being broken off of you. I just see that as, as we might be praying over a high school somewhere and you just have tears coming down your face because the Lord is doing such a work in your heart. I see that tonight. Let me switch to my phone notes. Um, and this is individual, but, but when y'all were practicing before uh, you began, I saw something coming from your feet when you were worshiping, and I thought it was oil, but I noticed how thick it was. And this is so cool that you mentioned the honey, because the Lord said, that's not oil, it's honey, and that she's a carrier of revival, and that I put freedom songs inside of her to release. Hallelujah. I see God for this house as he's releasing. Is this okay? Or I mean, I'll start preaching in a minute. God, God is releasing a seer anointing. A seer anointing to this house. And if you don't know what a seer anointing is, simply put, a seer is a type of prophet. And if you ask my six-year-old what a prophet is, he'll say a prophet is someone that hears what God says and tells people. And so rather than hearing what God says, a seer is seeing what God is doing, seeing what God is saying, and that's the kind of anointing that God is releasing on this house. And I believe it's especially on young women. God is releasing a seer anointing primarily for younger women to operate in. Uh, let's see here. I've got a few pages of this. This is good stuff. God is sending leaders that are probably already here. God is sending leaders that operate in high, 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 high levels of discernment and deliverance. High levels of discernment and deliverance. A great amount of this is going to be in the realm of the seer. A lot of people, for example, a lot of people that I see freed from depression, do you know how I struggle with de- they struggle with depression in the first place? I see a black cloud over their head. Have y'all seen Charlie Brown, like when the kids get angry and there's just like black swirl? You know, I see that in the spirit. And I'm like, that person is struggling with depression. That's how I know. And I believe that y'all are going to operate in, in realms that I'm not even fathomed. The realms of the seer when it comes to discernment and deliverance. I did not know that about you. I, I, <laughs> this is so good. And this, is, this, is, uh, this too, God said, is especially going to be prevalent among uh, the younger women. Man, young guys need to start contending. I'm just saying. Maybe they're just going after it more than you are. I don't know. <laughs> Hallelujah. Last thing I see is I see tons of children. I see tons of little kids. And... <laughs> You know, some of this, some of this is like spiritual. Some of this is is legacy and heritage. But I believe that that when when you move, there's going to be an influx of young families. There's going to be an influx of young families that that are that are that are soon going to have kids. And and I see God releasing strategies for kids ministry. I, I see I, I see um, strategies that make the Holy Spirit tangible in a greater way. You're going to do things in kids ministry that aren't being done right now. And it's going to make the Holy Spirit accessible to six-year-olds. You know, it's going, to make the, it's going to make the things of God, the deeper things of God that most of us, we don't get till, till, till later on in life. It's going to make them accessible to young children. I see, uh, I see kids' prophetic training time during your prayer times. Like I see, I see prayer going on in one section of where you're at. And then in a little side room, as the atmosphere of prayer is cultivated, I see someone teaching little kids how to operate in the prophetic. I see that. I see kids tugging. I see. I saw this. I saw a little kid walking through, walking through the mall, and he tugged on his uh, his daddy's shirt, and he said, "Do you see that kid over there? He has scoliosis." Seven year olds don't even know how to pronounce scoliosis, but I saw this little kid just look at this boy in the spirit during worship, and he said, "Daddy, do you see him? He has scoliosis." And I see kids. I man, my son convicts me all the time. I'm telling you, he got told in preschool that he couldn't pray for sick people anymore. I mean, he convicts me. I, I've gone up by his room, and I've heard him say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. Like I have Benny Hinn in the bedroom right beside me. And, and it convicts me. And I, I bless you with that, to be convicted by your kids. And I see this influx of kids. He's gonna, it's going to push you to pray more. It's going to push you to be in the Word more. Amen? Whew. Hallelujah. This is good stuff, man. I love how laid back y'all are. I wish we had couches in every church. If, uh, if you do have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis 26. If not, I, I'm a decent reader, I suppose. 
And uh, I was going, uh, I'm going to spare you a little bit tonight. Um, the, the first point, and, and we'll get into it, the first point, how, how this is going to go, the first thing I talk about is how uh, the whales of Abraham, how they were filled. But we're not going to talk about that because that's pretty simple. And, and, and what we're going to do is more or less jump straight into Isaac reopening his whales, reopen, uh, reopening his father's whales, and how that qualified him to open his own whales. Amen? And, and, and just quickly, I want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about a family heirloom, something, something that's been passed down through your family, something that you cherish. When, when I think of this, my, my grandfather fought in World War II in the Battle of the Bulge, and I think about how I would love to have some of his war medals, how, how I would love to have those things, how I would cherish those things. You can, you can open your eyes. Some, most of you already have. You've got to listen now. Come on. And I want you to take the feelings you might have for those heirlooms, for those, for those things that are, are in your family, part of your legacy, and I want you to apply those same feelings to the move of God. Apply those same feelings that you have for the things of your heritage, for the things that are coming down through your generations. Apply and intensify those feelings for the move of God that our forefathers must have seen. Amen? These, I'm telling you, these revivals, these, these things of the kingdom, they are heirlooms to which we have a right to lay claim to. My grandfather's war medals, those, those are as good as mine. He's my grandfather. It's my heritage. It's my legacy. And, and they're not just heirlooms that we need to lay hold of, but these past moves, I believe, they are wells that need to be reopened. Amen? And, and I see some of you fading already because you're saying, I've, I've heard 18,658 messages on the well. See, one thing you learn in preacher school is that there are two kinds of passages that are crazy hard to preach from. The first one is a passage that ain't nobody ever heard of. I mean, you, you, you try preaching, preaching on, on some Old Testament law that nobody's ever heard of before, and you spend time creating context, and then context for the context, and then context after the context, and, and your message is this big because the whole thing was creating context. But the thing that's harder to preach from is the passage that everybody's heard from. I mean, you, you go to a church and try and preach on Jonah and a whale and see how many people stay engaged. You, you try preaching on David and Goliath. You got some fresh revelation from David and Goliath's story, but nobody's going to listen to it because they heard it a million times. And in charismatic circles, one of the most overdone passages is Genesis 26, but I'm going to venture into that tonight because I believe God has released something in the season that we're in to, to, on this message for whales. Amen? Stay engaged. Stay engaged. God gave this word to me uh, uh, last year. Let me just go ahead and read it. It says, he said that uh, God is opening up wells of revival in this nation and abroad. These wells are going to be deep and that the flow is going to be intensified. These wells once flowed with water, but God is about to make old wells flow with new wine. God is about to make old wells flow with new wine. And as I said, this, this word is more of a corporate kind of word, but... Throughout, we're going to try and make some individual uh, applications for those of you that don't engage in the corporate aspect of, of prayer and worship. You know, so you'll still be happy. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and jump into, for those of you that don't read your Bible, I'm back to you today too, because we're about to read a lot of it. Uh, Genesis 26, let's jump to verse 15. It says, now the Philistines, I'm so excited my voice just cracked. Did y'all catch that? Woo. I've, <laughs> I've preached a lot this month so far. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they filled them with earth. What did they fill them with? And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again, say dug again, the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them, which would be Beersheba. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. 
And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named its, he called its name Rehoboth, which means for the Lord has, because he said, the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, which was where the original well was at. And the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you, multiply your descendants for your servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And my heart tonight is, is to show you how Isaac opened up three successful wells. And they're all in the order of God. And I want to charge you not to just to unstop your personal wells, but to push into the wells that the Lord has put in this region. Amen? And, and first, I just want to address quickly what the wells are. Obviously, in a literal sense, what is a well? It's a hole in the ground where there's water down deep, and you use that water to feed your, to, to water your family, to you water your family, to water your herds, give water to your family. It's a place in, in, in the Scripture where life would have evolved, revolved around the well, where a community of people was sustained by what that well provided. Amen? And in a spiritual sense, wells are places where God has moved and is moving in times where God has moved. Mantles that he has used on people. A mantle is a well. Get this. Anointing. An anointing is a well that we can draw from, and it's a deep place where the Holy Spirit can move powerfully and unhindered and with purpose. Amen? Sometimes we're the ones that tap into these wells. Oftentimes, we're the ones redigging these wells, reopening these wells. And quickly, I, I want to tell you about how the wells were full. Obviously, they were full. Isaac wouldn't have had to reopen them if they weren't full. And, and for your sake, I'm going to skip through a lot of uh, my notes, and I'm just going to do it by memory. Otherwise, we'll be here for a while because I like to preach. Isaac's wells, they're full. You know what they're full of? Earth. Do you know what we're made of? Earth. And, and when I began studying this, the Lord brought to my attention that these wells of, of Isaac's father, they were filled with the very substance that we're made from. For Isaac, that meant that the Philistines plugged up his life source with physical dirt. For us, the people of God, it means that we have stopped up the wells of God with the very thing that we're made of. We've filled the past moves of God. We've hindered anointings with the things of man. And it kind of happens like this. God starts moving, a well is reopened, and automatically the first thing we think is, ooh, 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 we're the lucky ones. God didn't pick the, the church down the street. He picked us. And a little pride creeps in, and that's a little dirt added to the top of the well. And pride leads to humanism because now uh, all these people are coming and people are being touched by God and we've got to find new ways to do new things to stay relevant and all this other junk that the modern church tries to do. Humanism comes in, we try to do things out of our own power because the pride hindered the flow. And so we're trying to do it now and it's a little more dirt added to the well. And by this time, we realize that the flow has been hindered. By this time, we realize that pride and humanism, we haven't identified the pride in humanism, but by God, we know that it's not flowing like it was. And so we add a little tradition. It becomes tradition. We add a little, um, we, we add a new way of doing things. We add more, more ministries. We add more agendas, and that's dirt on top of dirt on top of dirt. And by the end of it, we're standing on top of our own well, trying to figure out why it's not flowing anymore, and, and we don't realize that we're the very one that's hindered the flow. Essentially, what we've done is we've had a well of the move of God, and we try to help God out by throwing some dirt in the well. I mean, it doesn't make sense when you talk about it like that, but that's exactly what's happened. We, we've tried to extend and perpetuate revival by putting more dirt into our well. Brilliant, right? But that's exactly, I believe, what, what we've done. Uh, our wells in, in this passage, the wells are full, but I want you to know that God has begun the process of reopening the wells that we ourselves have covered up. He's beginning the process of reopening the wells. It says in verse 18 that Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. They begin to dig again the wells of Abraham 
uh, they would be called Beersheba. And the wells are filled. Listen, the wells are full because Abraham wasn't there to keep them open. Abraham wasn't there to keep them open. Why is that important? When the generation which dug the well passes on, it becomes the responsibility of the sons and daughters to keep the well open. And when we refuse to continue drinking from our father's wells, they will eventually be filled up. When we refuse to continue drinking from our father's wells, we will end up having to redig them in the future. And I believe that in the body of Christ as a whole, especially in America and Europe, that's where we find ourselves right now. Is we've allowed so many wells to be filled. And what one generation paid for, we took for granted. Our fathers took for granted for, for, for hundreds of years. And now we have the responsibility of opening them all. Amen. Isaac wasn't stewarding the wells, and it opened up an opportunity for them to be filled with earth. I, I don't know the tools that Isaac would have used to do this. I don't know the tools that Abraham would have used to do this. What I do know is that the amount of information, a few years ago, the amount of information we had, it doubled every 40 years. Just in the past few years, the amount of information, thanks to the internet, has it doubles every 10 years. My, my iPhone, do you know this has more technology in it than the first spaceship? The first space shuttle, my phone, has more computing power inside this little iPhone than the, the first spaceship had. And in the 20s, in the 1920s, during the Voice of Healing revival, during the Azusa outpouring, during, during Charles Parham meetings, during the Great Awakenings, they may have dug in the open-air meetings and with tents and with hymnals and wearing three-piece suits in the middle of the summer for God knows why. I don't know. But uh, well, what I do know, you know, listen, in the 20s, they may have dug with dug wells with one of those little diviner rods that our grandfather had where it points down at the water. They, they may have dug with a little shovel. They may have dug with a drill on the back of a pickup. But today, we don't dig that way. I mean, we have backhoes and sonar and everything else that technology affords us to be able to find a well. Today, I'm, I'm, pre I'm digging in blue jeans and a plaid shirt. I don't have a jacket on. I dig in electric guitars. Your pastor has mad chops on an electric guitar. It's ridiculous. Uh, they, they dug with the King James. That's great. I dig with it in ESV. But the fact is, it's the same well. It's the same well that we're pushing into. It's the same well that we're digging with them. Amen? And listen to me. I hear this so much in prophetic streams. God is doing a new thing. And I used to prophesy that. And God said, why don't you listen for the rest of it? Contrary to what pro progressive prophets are saying, God is not doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in an old way. He's making old wells flow with new wine. What, what do I mean? I mean, God's doing a new thing in an old way. Since when did the apostolic, since when did that become something new? God is not allowing us to push into more of the new until we've been faithful with the old. Healing is not new. It's just a well that we're tapping into in a greater dimension. The apostolic, the prophetic, the gifts of the Spirit flowing freely, they're not new. It's just something that we allow to be stopped up for a season. Amen? These, these wells of revival, they've been here all along. They never went away. Not, they're not new. They're just hidden. The word stopped up here where it says the Philistines stopped up these wells, it, it translates as hidden or secret. They, they've been there for a while. It just takes us digging to reach them. Is this Okay. Look, I, I like preaching in black churches. I mean, y'all got to engage a little bit. Come on. Make organ sounds. I don't care. You know, get old school and wave a hanky. It's all right. Well, hallelujah, somebody. Jeez, you can do that. I don't care. Just let me know you're with me, all right? <laughs> listen, listen. They've been here all along. It just takes digging to reach them. It's not easy. Look, I don't look like it, but I was in the army and I filled up sandbags in Iraq. You know how, that, how hard that is? It's mud. It's sweat. It's tears. It's blood. It's shovels. It's long hours in the hot sun. 
It's, it's, it's sleepless nights in prayer. It's boldness in the marketplace. It's pushing into the things that nobody else will pay the price for. It's not saying you're spiritual when you're just lazy. Amen? It's, it's paying the price to be a carrier of revival. It's paying the price to dig the well and to be a carrier of the manifest presence of God. Look, we, we're not just digging because we, we, want, we want revival as an addendum to service. This word dug here, it can be translated as searching for an object that is desirable. Where it says they dug again the wells of Abraham. It's searching for an object that's desirable. For them, it was water. They wanted to, they wanted to water their family. <laughs> they wanted to water their herds. They wanted their community to thrive. For us, it's searching for the Holy Spirit, not just because we love it when He moves in service. It's because He is desirable to us. The move of God is not just something that we want to be able to say, God's moving here, He's not over there. It's something that we're just pushing into because we want the presence of God more than anything else. Amen? We, we don't want a good church service. I want a lifestyle that is marked by the presence on me. I don't want to just pray in church. I want the voice of God to wake me up at 3 in the morning and He'll say to pray till sunrise, son. It's desirable. It's desirable. Let, let me give you some practicals for the move. There's, there's a prophet in, in Austin. He's um, a man named Samuel Brassfield. And uh, I was speaking with him about this, and, and he said that uh, people that don't know about the revival, I'm still shaking, people that don't know about the revivals of old, they won't take part in the revival that is here. He, he said specifically, he said, if you don't know what once was, you'll not take part in what is. It doesn't mean you won't come to the services. It just means you won't have any fruit from it. I'm speaking specifically to leaders. I'm not talking about people that come in that have no idea what's going on. They get saved. Or you've been saved five minutes and you don't know what's going on. You just know you like it. All right? I'm talking about if you've been in this thing for a minute, you need to read up on what God has done in this region. Amen? That, that, that's one of the points that he gave me. He said, Andrew, tell them to study revival in their region. See if an eye is not down the road for no reason just because it happened to pop up one day. Oh, let's, let's have a Bible school here. Let's build this. No. There are so many wells in this region. And some of you have got to get a spirit of intercession about them. Some of you are receiving a charge. Even now as I'm saying this, you feel it in your spirit that you re you're receiving a charge to search this matter out. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a king to search it out. And you are a king. You are a queen. And you're receiving a charge right now from the Holy Spirit to begin researching this. Not so you can just be like a Bible scholar and you know what God did 50 years ago, but so that you can see the wells that were dug a half a century ago and the voice of healing revival. And so you can say, I want that and I'm going to pursue it and press into it until I walk in it. Amen? Another, another thing he says, he told me, is you need to tell them to unstop their own wells. You can't dig the wells of revival until you've unstopped your own personal wells. You can't push into healing until you've pushed past pornography. You can't, you can't push into, into the prophetic until you've pushed past gossip. Where you, be, you become more concerned about hearing the voice of God than the voice of your girlfriend on the phone. You've got to unstop your own personal wells if you're going to be effective. Amen? I, uh, let me, I have this on my website. Uh, some revival, some people, and some places that God spoke specifically to me about. And so you don't have to write this down. You can find it. All. It's, it's on one of our blogs. Uh, some revivals that God highlighted to me are, are the Cane Ridge Revival. Some of you will be familiar with these. Other of you, you need to go research. Uh, the First and Second Great Awakenings. God highlighted Azusa Street. <laughs> Excuse me. He highlighted the Voice of Healing. He highlighted the Wales Revival. Some of the people got highlighted. He highlighted John G. Lake. There's a revival going on in South Africa right now, if y'all research that. John G. Lake did a lot in South Africa. There, he highlighted Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> I love his last name. <laughs> he highlighted William Branham. He highlighted Catherine Coleman. 
he highlighted a, a man named uh, Zinzendorf. If you don't know him, he, you, you ought to go research that. If you, you, you think Mike Bickle and IHOP have done the prayer movement good for a few years, try it. They had a, they had a 24-7 prayer gathering for a century. A hundred years, 24-7 prayer. The Moravian missionary movement that saw John and Charles Wesley saved. Some of the places that God highlighted, he highlighted Spokane, Washington. There's John G. Lake again. He highlighted Dallas, Texas. Hello. He highlighted South Africa. Hello. He highlighted uh, Los Angeles. And he highlighted England. And these are some of the places I believe that we are to press into in intercession to see wells reopen there. Amen? It just so happens y'all live in one of them. You've know, you got to take ownership of these things. All right? This, this is where we are this year. And when God gave this to me, I was like, so this is, I, I never get words for the year. So I was really excited. I was like, hallelujah, I got a word for the year. Like, it's going to be heaven in 07, you know, one of those kind of things. And, and, and the Lord rebukes me over that even recently because I was like, Lord, that was just for last year. I mean, it didn't turn out like I thought it was, but that was just for last year, right? That was a word for, for 2012. He said, no, that was a word for the next half a decade, Andrew. This word is for the next five, well, now about four years where we're going to really see fruit and pressing in to these wells being reopened. I'm looking at this list, and, and, and things are coming to memory that I've even seen a measure of this happen already. I've seen crazy things in Dallas this past year. I have seen, I have connected with people in England. I, I never thought to connect with people in England, but we're looking at doing a tour there in the summer, or the fall, excuse me. And these places that God is highlighting as I study and these revivals and the places surrounding where the revivals took place, I'm telling you there are wells even now that, that people are seeing fruit from as, they, as they've pressed into it. Amen? So this is where we are, I believe, the next about five, four more years is really pursuing the reopening of these wells. Is this okay? All right. I'm pretending a lot of the amens are coming just because y'all are engaged and y'all are processing, all right? Let's, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Another thing I want to look at is, is how the new wells are made. Isaac reopened the wells of his father. Every preacher I've ever heard preach on this, they stop right there. Maybe it's because I'm old school, but every sermon I heard on this passage, they always stop with how Isaac opened the wells of his father. And they never read a few verses later. They never read anymore. But if you look at this, Isaac digs the well of his father. He names it Beersheba. Then he digs two more wells, which we'll see fail. But after that, he digs two which are successful. What does that mean? When you're faithful to reopen the wells of your father, it qualifies you to open your own. It qualifies you to expand on what God is doing through the past revivals, just moving from glory to glory, faith to faith, expanding the move of God rather than fumbling it like every other generation has done. Let's, uh, let's look at some of the attempts that he made uh, to open his own wells and what happened. Uh, if you have a Bible, again, verse 20, it says, if you don't have a Bible, you're good. <laughs> the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled and, uh, with Isaac's herdsmen, saying the water is ours. Excuse me. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Verse 21, they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So he called it Sitna. Isaac is successful in reopening his father's wells. And the first thing that happens is he encounters immediate opposition. He encounters immediate opposition. And I want to show you that this is the attempt of both man and Satan to stop up what God's trying to do through you. I'm going to show you that. The first well Isaac digs is called Essek. Isaac digs a well. They quarrel over it. He loses it. And he calls it Essek. Essek means quarreling, and he left that one to go dig another one. We've tapped into our father's wells. We've begun to dig our own, and jealousy and envy are going to arise. If I had time, if I hadn't skipped that first part, I would have showed you how the whole reason that Abraham's wells were filled in the first place is because the king Abimelech, he was afraid of Isaac, and the people were envious of him. Because people that are next to you, your peers, they're going to be scared of you if they're not operating according to the kingdom. People that people next to you are going to be scared. People that are below are going to be jealous. It caused his father's wells to be filled up, so the enemy tried the same thing and caused this well to be filled up or taken from him. 
the great thing, one, one of the worst things, you know, the enemy's plans, they don't change. You know why? Because they work. But we're able to recognize this and realize that he has the same playbook now that he did then and counteract what he's trying to do. Listen, religious people, they hate the success of others. Have you noticed this? Religious people hate when you prosper. Especially in church plants. I cut my teeth in ministry in church plants. I know exactly what I'm talking about, and you do too. Religious people hate church plants. For one, they say, we don't need another church. Ours is big enough. Let's just absorb them. Bring them into our church. Religious people hate the expansion of the kingdom of God. Listen, you mean to give you some advice for dealing with religious people? Don't. Don't argue with them. Don't talk to them. Look, I go out of my way to make it obvious that I am not talking to you. Like, like you know how you see somebody in the mall that you don't want to talk to, and so you pull out your phone and send a fake text to your wife? I do that when I pass by a religious person. If I know that you are a Pharisee, I'm just going to go out of my way. Either that or I'm going to say, get, get, get away from me, you brood of vipers. Or you start speaking in tongues and they just don't mess with you anymore. You just, they come up to you and be like, hey man, how's your church? And you just walk off and they won't do anything else to you. There's your advice on how to deal with these people. Look, go out of your way to make it obvious that you're ignoring them. It's fun, I promise. It's fun. This is... Did y'all hear that or was it just me? Okay. <laughs> this, this is man's attempt to stop you from digging your wells. They sow seeds of discord. They sow seeds of discouragement. And if you just ignore them, you don't have to listen to any of that junk. Amen? You avoid the quarreling. He didn't fight for Essex. He didn't want to quarrel over it because he knew that God had something else for him. Amen? The second well, Isaac digs a well and he names it Sitna. How many of you have, have a Strong's Concordance if you're super spiritual? you got a Strong's Concordance, and you know that, that these words, they have uh, different numbers based on where they're at. Uh, what, what I use, because I'm, I'm more spiritual, I use a book called a lexicon, haha. And, and these words, they're grouped not by alphabetical order in English, but they're grouped by like the root words, and every word has a number. And the closer the numbers are, the more related they are. Let me say it this way. The closer they two are, the more in common they share. And the word sitna in the Hebrew, which is what this is written in, the word sitna in my book is number 7856. 7856. The word Satan is number 7854. 56, 5554. Five, Do you know what that means? They have a common root, they have a common definition. Sitna and Satan have much in common. Sitna is close to Satan, but it means strife. Sitna means strife. Look, and I'll bring that out in a minute. When you begin to dig your own wells, not only are you going to encounter quarreling and backbiting and gossip from all the religious folks that you learned to ignore because I told you to, but you're going to have to deal with strife from the enemy. Strife from the enemy. What is the chief tool of the enemy? It's accusation. Accusation causes strife. Part, part of the, the, the root in these words is accusation. The concept of accusation in Sitna and Satan is present in both. And, and what, what, did, what did Satan do to Job? He sought to accuse Job. The reason you've heard the verse that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, forever, making, uh, forever interceding for the saints, forever interceding for us, forever mediating for us, do you know why he has to do that? Because Revelation 12.10 says that the accuser of the brethren is forever before the throne of God, never ceasing to bring accusation against us. Day or night, he doesn't stop. His strife comes through accusation. So the enemy would try condemnation, and you say, there, 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 there's no condemnation in those who are Christ Jesus. The enemy, the enemy tries to bring all this, all this junk on you, and you say, no, I'm, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. I'm holy as he is holy. I'm a righteous the purposes of God are my purposes. The things of God belong to me. I have an inheritance in the kingdom. When he comes at you and, and shows you all your junk, you can say to him that Jesus Christ, he that knew no sin, became sin 
so that I, through him, might become the righteousness of God. You know what? In and of myself, before I was saved, I did not have any righteousness. But through Jesus, I've put on the righteousness, not of myself, but of God himself. And so this accusation and this strife, it doesn't affect you. Amen? You, you, don't, you can't faint through this, though. I've seen so many people have this revelation, and then I've seen people backslide a row at a time, or a couch at a time in y'all's case. Where people get saved, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and they come sit on the front row for three months. Something happens in their life, and so they skip a few rows back. Pretty soon, they're on the back row, and then 12 years later, you find out they had a baby out of wedlock, and their kid is on crack. And it's because they didn't have endurance. The people that, that saw me saved, that when I got saved, I got baptized in a lifestyle of holiness. And on school nights, we were up at the church till like 3 o'clock in the morning, just basking in the glory, you know, just soaking. I mean, I grew up Baptist. I didn't even know this stuff existed. I got, the service I got saved in, somebody speaking in tongues, I thought, this is a cult. <laughs> this is a cult. But I got rocked by it. Those guys got rocked by it too, but do you know what they're doing right now? Not serving Jesus. If we weren't live stream, I'd tell you more, but I'm not. And I saw him backslide a row at a time. The people that saw me saved, the people that they told me they prayed for me for six months, five months, to get me to one service with a hangover and a pack of camel wides in my pocket. And they're not serving Jesus anymore. Because you can push through the quarreling and you can push through the strife. Anybody can do it for a little while. But if you don't have endurance, then you're not going to prevail. Faint not. You have need of endurance so that once you've done the will of God, you may obtain the promises of God. Faint not because once you've been faithful in pushing through the strife and the quarreling, then you can begin to dig your own wells. Amen? Isaac, he, he finally pushes through these two experiences. And he digs two wells. He digs two wells. Why two? Because he lost Essek and Sittenham. God is a God of restoration. So he releases him to dig two wells. And this first one, are y'all still with me? All right. I'm kind of switching into teaching mode, so you know, we'll scream next time maybe, all right? Isaac... <laughs> Isaac pushes through these experiences, and what's curious to me, what's important to me, is not the, the name, but the location. It's not the name, but the locale that is important to me. The first well that Isaac digs is called Rehoboth. It means wide open spaces because God will put you in a place where you can grow and expand and flourish and thrive. But what's more important about this is the location, like I said. It's on the edge of Beersheba, which is the land of Isaac's father. Let me explain this. When Abraham dug the well and named it Beersheba, the surrounding territory took on the name of Beersheba. Now, I'm a Bible nerd, and so when I went to go study this, I wanted to know where Rehoboth was dug. And so I found out, I want you to picture it this way. I have a slide for this. Picture Beersheba in the middle, and picture a circle going around Beersheba. And right on the very edge of the circle is where Rehoboth was dug. Because God is not about doing something completely new. He's about expanding on what He's already doing. When you lay the foundation of a building, you don't go frame it over here somewhere. You build on the foundation. Amen? It's, it's almost like this. There's a pastor I preach for every other month in Oklahoma, and they have 10 acres out in the middle of nowhere. It's gorgeous. And, and he said, I want to buy 10 more acres right next to where I'm at. He wants to expand his territory. He's not going to go buy 10 acres in town somewhere. He's going to expand where he already is. Amen? It's like I said, this Beersheba is like the foundation, and he didn't dig Rehoboth somewhere else and make a roof. He dug straight up from where Beersheba already was, right on the territory. Isaac didn't reopen his father's well in another land. He didn't go dig his own somewhere completely disengaged from what God was doing through Beersheba because God's intention is not to reopen wells and then dig where you want. You can't reopen the wells of your father and then go do something completely disconnected from what God is doing through that well. Amen? The purpose of God is to reopen and then expand upon what was reopened. 
Have I hit that point enough? Okay. The second well. Then he went up from there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Look at this. What, what are the conditions surrounding the digging of the second well? What's going on in this passage? But when you read the Bible, you have to insert yourself. You know, use your exegetical imagination and pretend you're in the Bible. Look around. Find out what's going on. What's going on right here? The Lord is moving. A plus. Look, the appearance of the Lord, he, he receives the covenant promise of his father Abraham. The location of the second well is where God is doing something. God shows up, there's, he has a vision, he receives a promise, and he says he dwelt there, he pitched his tent there, and he dug a well where the activity of God was. You know what that's not like? It's not like his son. If you fast forward to Genesis 28, you'll find that Jacob was in a place called Bethel. And he, he, he sees, he has a dream, he sees a ladder going to heaven. He says, this is the gate of heaven. There's angels ascending and descending on assignment. I mean, this place, I don't know if you read that passage like I do, but I read this passage and I think, this place is in revival. And Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the presence of the Lord was here. I didn't even know it. And then if you read another verse later, it says, so he arose the next morning and then went about his business. So not only does he have this incredible experience where God is moving, but then he goes back to sleep. But not his father. His father finds where God is moving, and he dwells there. His son found where God is moving. He said, this is great. And then he went on. Where do we dig supernaturally? We're, we're, we're to dig in such a way as to expand upon what God is doing. Dig in the place where he's moving. Look, where can you see the activity of God in this region? Just think, you don't have to answer. <laughs> where can you see the activity of God in your family? Where do you see God moving in your own life? If you watch TV late at night and you start crying when you see African babies on TV and orphans, dig there. If you cry when you see a, a single mother with three kids that can't support them and, you, and that touches your heart, begin to dig there. If you're like me and you, and you find young men that don't have a spiritual daddy and, and their dad walked out on them when they were a kid... And that, that wrecks me on the inside. Do you know where I plow more than any other place? It's in the area of being a mentor and a spiritual father. I'm 26, but, but you don't have to be 40 to be a dad. I have a six-year-old already. And another one on the way. That's why my wife's not here, because whoever said morning sickness is morning sickness lied. One of the things that God is doing right now is he's raising up young men to be spiritual fathers because many in the generation before us weren't willing to be that for them. Amen? If, if you cry every time you pick up a guitar, or every time you, you come into a place of worship, or every time you see somebody on crutches, and you feel something stir on the, on the inside of you, then dig there. Open that well. Amen? I have some more, but I don't think the Lord's going to go there. Let's just wait for a second. Let's do this. Okay. Holy Spirit is revealing to you right now where you're called to dig. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts right now. Holy Spirit, speak to hearts right now. Reveal the places that we are called to dig. Yes, God. Yes, yes. That's it. That's it. 
Listen to me in just a moment. Holy Spirit is going to fall in this place. And, and we're going to pray. Look, one of the things about my ministry is God's, God's, God's doing something in our ministry where, where I don't pray for a lot of people because guess what? I'm leaving after this. I have a local body that I go to. But, but God's, God's, God's doing something through our ministry where we are seeing people empower themselves to pray for one another. Where the church heals itself and not just the guy that comes in. And I love it. And so as we begin to pray, don't just, don't just wait for me to come lay hands on you and, and say, God, show them where they're supposed to dig and heal their back. You know, that's fine. And that might happen to some of you. But the fact is, you need to press in. One of the things that, that the Lord said to me tonight is, is he said, and this is always hard because then people, people get frustrated if they're not willing to press in. He said, son, you tell them that tonight they're not going to be able to pull on your anointing like they do on their pastors during the altar time. He said, you go tell them that they cannot live vicariously through your anointing. But tonight, you're going to be required to dig. And the spirit of prayer is going to begin to move in this room. And don't draw off your wife's prayer life. Don't draw off your pastor's prayer life. Don't live through somebody else's anointing in this moment. But you press in. I told you, digging is not easy. It's muddy. You have to use a shovel. You get calloused hands. Oh, it's worth it. Oh, it's worth it. In fact, why don't you just go ahead and stand if you're able. and Open up your mouth and just begin to invite the Holy Spirit to come and show you where to dig. Come on. Come on. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. Begin calling out to the Lord and say, asking Him to show you where to dig tonight. Begin to press in. I'm telling you, there is more of God available than you will ever be able to fathom. But you have to press into it tonight. Come on. The time for casual prayer and casual Christianity and not dancing when the worship leader says, I want to dance a little, a little harder than before, that time is over. Woo. Come on, press in. Press in right now. Ooh. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Oh, God. Come on, don't go weary. Don't go weary. It's only been a minute. Press into this. I'm telling you, there is a moment of breakthrough available for you right now. If you will press into your personal wells, unstop those dry places, and let the Holy Spirit flow in this moment. Woo. I cancel depression in the name of Jesus. Woo. I break off the spirit of weariness in the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, come on. Press into that. Some of you are feeling so weary. Some of you almost didn't come tonight just because you're tired. I break that off in the name of Jesus. That's not because you worked all week. That's a spirit of weariness that's trying to attach itself to you. Listen to me. Come on, come on. I'm telling you, God's not deaf, but sometimes you need to practice putting your passion on display. Push into this. Push into this. You know, if you're an altar worker on the prayer team, I want you to begin moving around the house with people. I always want you to begin moving through the people right now. If you're if you're an altar worker on the prayer team, begin moving where the people are right now. Begin moving around. Come on. Come on.
Come on. Who is that that's been battling weariness lately? Weariness. Let's get some, some people. I need three people with this woman right here. Three people. You come over here. And you. Go pray with her, please. And you. Three people. Keep going. Keep going. Where's he going? Come on. Now listen, don't ask weariness to leave. Command it to leave. When Jesus prayed for things like this, he did not say casually, Jesus, please come heal this person. No, he commanded the affliction to be gone. Begin commanding that affliction to leave. Begin commanding the weariness to go. Begin biting a spirit of weariness. You open your mouth and pray it. Come on. One of the things the Lord is breaking off of some of you tonight is that you wait for the Spirit to move before you really engage in intercession. And it's as if the Lord is saying to you, are you willing to pray even when the ground is still hard? Are you willing to pray even before the well has been opened? Are you willing to pray even when it's still dry? You've got to push through this mindset that the only time the Lord moves through the intercession is when it's already flowing. Somebody's got to forerun it. Come on, come on. I'm telling you, you're close to it.
got back problems, like, especially like in the left side of your back. <laughs> back problems? Come here. You again. God's giving you a gift of healing. You start using it tonight. Come on. Look, begin. Don't don't ask for healing. Begin commanding the back to come into alignment with the way God made it. Command the muscles to loosen up. Command command cartilage to regrow. Creative miracles. It's your job to release them. Woo! Come on, Jesus. Come on, come on. Press in, man. You can't live through my prayer life right now. Come on, you got to press in for it. You got to press in for it. I mean, how much do you want it? Come on. Anyone else with back problems? Come on. Pray for her first. This is fun. Come on. 